Device, device was not connected. Now I can see levels. Why don't I look to see if there were levels before I started talking? Okay, <laughs> Wayne, Steve, thank you for reporting that. I think I'm back. Uh, Relza? Seems so, where well, he's now very quiet. So, what I was saying, which you couldn't hear, is I rushed it. I rushed. I was a couple of minutes late. I got a lot to do today. I got to keep this to like 45 minutes, absolute tops. Also, got to remember to go back and chop this bit out. Not this bit, but the bit I wasn't talking from the video and then the audio when I downloaded. Oh, jeez. It all gets too much. We got there. We got there. Okay, sponsor. <laughs> Let's start there. Let's just start with the predictable things. It is getting very predictable, actually, that Clyde is this week's sponsor, and it's predictable in a great way because they have been a fantastic sponsor this year. Collide is an endpoint security solution for teams that want to meet SOC 2 compliance goals without sacrificing privacy. Link there to learn more. When you click on that link, you get to their website, and they know people are actually paying attention, which is fantastic. Set compliance goals. Employees make them happen. As I said before, compliance is... In the list of things that you have to do, it's not the most fun, but Collide does make it easier. So please go and check out uh, Collide and help you do the things that you have to do that might not be the most fun things in life. Which sums up a lot of my life lately, which is another story. Much, much, much more fun stuff coming up. Uh, Cam is from Switzerland. Get this, Switzerland. I love Switzerland. It's so cool. I think next year I might go back to Switzerland. Anyway, in terms of other things coming up, I am now two weeks out from a wedding, which is extraordinarily uh, surprising, exciting, not surprising. It did kind of creep up on us, though, because we got engaged on New Year's Day last year uh, and we hadn't decided a date. And it was only about a year ago we actually decided the date and the venue and everything else because we were still trying to figure out who can go where because of COVID and everything. Uh, And now we... We're actually almost there. Really, the, the festivities for us start today. Charlotte's sister's arriving from Norway today, tonight. She's on a plane now. So that's, that's super exciting. Like everything, everything starts getting really exciting with, uh, with people arriving. Uh, people who, some of whom are very familiar to this podcast as well. Or vodcast, whatever it is. So anyway, we're very excited about that. Uh, I will share... Share, so I'll figure out what we share. We'll share some. Definitely share some stuff in the lead-up and afterwards when we've got nice pictures and things like that. So, Lars. Lars Clint. That sounds familiar. Mm. Hmm. So Lars was here during the week, uh, which, which was great. It was nice to have Lars. We, we sent some photos to the Twitter uh, of riding bikes down. There was a beer festival, which was perfect timing. So Lars and Charlotte and I went and hung out at a beer festival for a while. Uh, my, my recollection of what we did after that is hazy, uh, but <laughs> I, think, I think it was fun. It was a nice time. Thanks so much for coming, mate. Uh, I, I think it's probably safe to say Lars is one face that we will see back here in a couple of weeks' time as well. What else happening here? Uh, I started the Lego Ferrari. Speaking of Lars and all things Lego and Danish, I started it. There's two books. The first book is about 411 pages. <laughs> so I feel this is going to be one of these builds where I'm going to be tweeting photos of this for the next 18 months until the thing is finally done and it adorns a shelf behind me. Maybe it won't take that long this time. We'll, we'll see. Mike's here. G'day, Mike. 
it's a nice g'day from you. I wonder if you can pronounce it properly yet. Uh, something, something I didn't really tweet about during the week, but I'll mention here quickly because I just think it's one of those things that deserves to probably die and move on. Uh, Krebs and ubiquity. Now, let's just pull up Krebs's post. Well, actually, I start typing in Krebs on security and it defaults to uh, August 2022 when efforts to contain a data breach backfire. Oh, no, that's not the one. That's not the one I was thinking about. Let's just go to Krebs' homepage here. Final thoughts on ubiquity. Now, this is inevitably the the final bit. Um, Zero comments on that. Is it disabled comments? That's interesting. Because everything else Krebs writes, he gets a lot of comments on. Yeah, there you go. Uh, has disabled comments on that. Interesting, interesting. So this was a story where Ubiquity had allegedly had a data breach. Someone contacted Krebs. They sent him information which made Ubiquity look uh, not very good at all. It was enough information and the person alleged they're an insider, it was enough information to uh, lend credibility to the fact that they were actually an insider, therefore the things that they were saying that were going on was uh, likely to be true. Turned out it was an insider and it was the person who was responsible for the incident and they were trying to extort them and all sorts of nasty stuff. And and to some extent, I think the person probably uh, misled or definitely misled uh, Krebs. And anyway, the story got written up uh, and it made Ubiquity look super bad, particularly because of the way they're responding to it. And I commented at the time, you know, look, I love the product. I just don't like the communication around it. Now, with the passage of time, we learned that it was an insider. And that certainly helped explain a lot of their behavior in terms of the way the communication went. So that was interesting. Uh, And then I guess where it got more interesting again is we saw legal documents emerge with um, Ubiquity. I'm going to be careful of the words I use because I can't recall whether they were suing him or whether they were just asking him to retract the story or what it was. But it, I, I guess when you see a large corporation uh, come out against a journalist for a piece that's been written on the basis of information that was fed to them, the optics of it, as they say, were not great. So... That didn't look real good. People were very sympathetic to Krebs, very uh, critical of Ubiquity. Uh, I certainly spoke to some people at Ubiquity and said, I don't think this is a very good look at all. So it's interesting now to see Krebs write this piece. If I if I had to guess, and I think everyone's guessing here, it was probably easier to do this than to run it through in terms of if they were actually... Uh, uh, going to end up with him in court. And I wonder also if that was partly explains why there is no commenting on this blog post because this is this is possibly falling on his sword a little bit. And it's, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, uh, I love Krebs, I love Ubiquity. Uh, I'm glad that this appears to be over and they can both go and do the things that they all do so well. But, um, yeah, I guess an anticlimax is probably the best way for this to end. Okay. Because, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his name. Because, Buzz, and let me just read the question here. Do you still think having a college degree still matters? 
for computer science programming stuff, what would be your roadmap suggestion for a wannabe programmer? Uh, first of all, I never thought it was a good idea. <laughs> I, as, a, as a university dropout myself, uh, I have written a blog post, if you want to go and look for it, uh, Troy Hunt Information Security Careers. I think that will get you there. Troy Hunt uh, InfoSec Careers. And um, here you go. December 2016. Careers in security, ethical hacking, and advice on where to get started. I'll just drop that in the chat and you can go and have a read on that. I think that technology in general, programming, cybersecurity, everything sort of within that, that funnel that gets more and more specific towards security is, is sort of the ultimate meritocracy. Uh, and what I mean by that is that you get judged very much on your capabilities and what you do as opposed to the pieces of paper that you hold. Now, I've just actually started putting stuff back up on the wall in my office and I look at certificates and things like that. Um, none of them are from a university. Uh, I have no certifications. Uh, I have no degree. I have none of those things. But I did have access to a computer, still do, and I have access to write code and I have access to write blog posts and turn up and talk at events and contribute to open source and get involved in answering questions in Stack Overflow. I have access to all of these things that I can do that other than the cost of actually having a computer, which by virtue of you typing this, you probably have. Other than that, there's, there's just no cost to it. And I could go and do all these things at my own pace. Thank you, uh, Home Assistant. Washing machine's finished. And I think that that is, is, is wonderful. And I mean meritocracy in so far as if you can go out and do this stuff, uh, you don't have to do an expensive degree or spend years of time doing that. And this is one of the things that I'm, I'm talking particularly to Ari about now. He's, he's, he's almost 13. Uh, and like, man, like, go and start learning this stuff and showing that you can do things. Now, if you choose to go to university because that's something that your parents want you to do and that's important, or because you're trying to find your path and your direction, uh, and that is the thing that, that gives you the the opportunity to figure out what it is that works for you, then then good on you. But it it is fascinating to look at like the properly really really successful people and how many of them in this industry uh, did actually not complete their tertiary qualifications. Steve, do you have a noisy computer fan today? Aware of background noise and the gaps between words. I think the easiest thing for me to do there is to not leave gaps between words. Um, no, I'm just a normal computer fan. I will listen back to this later on. I have had a couple of comments in the past about background noise, so I'm going to look at that. Lars wants me to finish the Ferrari in less than 12 months. Don't know. <laughs> Rules are, it's really beer festival if your memory isn't hazy. <laughs> That's a fair comment here. Uh, a little, little chiming in from Lars on the, on the whole university thing there are many ways to get computer science knowledge university is one way uh that he went through but not entirely sure i really had to in hindsight and then lars also says look i read this out because people listen to the podcast later on as well look at potential job posts as well and see what you'd like to do and see what the requirements are often it's not it is skills not degrees one of the things that actually really bugged me back in my old corporate days at pfizer was a number of times that we would hire people and we put out job uh, job ads. And mind you, I started there in 2001 and went through to 2014, so already that's a long time ago. 
but it'd be consistently like, you know, wanting qualifications in a computer science degree or something. You'd have people turn up with really impressive CVs and they were shit. <laughs> like, they're really, really shit. Like, they, see the, okay, uh, MBA in computer science and PhD or something and they don't know how to type TSQL. Yeah, it'd be, like, be stuff like that. So I don't think that that makes much sense, particularly in a much more... Uh, a much more modern era than then. Anyway, that's my uh, that's my feeling. Dominic said the sound is all good for him. <laughs> okay, so Steve, check your headphones or your speakers or something. The book is almost here. This is exciting. This has been going on for a very, very long time. So, uh, wow, where did we begin with this? Multiple years ago, Rob Connery, who I revered, super revered. He was a good guy for many, many years. Many, many years. Said you should write a book out of your blog post. Now, I don't want to talk too much about it this week because when we actually launch it properly, I'll go and give you the full background. But anyway, I got very busy with multiple work and personal things. And then Rob got very busy as well also with work and personal things. In fact, there's some, some very, very personal stuff from him in the intro of this book. And we, um, it took longer to get started and then it took longer to complete. I think everyone that writes a book ends up saying it takes longer than, uh, than they expect. And this is basically a book, a blog post, and then I just write a bunch of extra stuff too. So for those of you writing like deeply technical things that are very, very long, yeah, geez, I can't imagine. Uh, but it did take a lot of effort. And I really, really wanted to have it out by Christmas. Like this was the one just gone. <laughs> this was the original plan. And we, we just we just weren't ready. It just wasn't the product that I want it to be. And when I say product, it's like you, you will pay money for this. Mike has paid money for this. Um, so particularly when there's, like it's, if it's a blog post, it's like, hey, if you don't like it, leave kind of thing. It's not like I have to give you your money back. But when it's a book and people are paying money for it, it's like, I want this thing to be, it's like this, this is the realm of perfection and I want it to be very, very close to the top. Now, I don't expect it to be all the way at the top and this is why it is out there in private preview at the moment. So people who signed up over the course of years uh, to book.troyhunt.com and said they would like to actually uh, get a preview of the book, those are the folks who got the preview. They got it at a reduced price. And part of the rationale there is that we're collecting feedback. So mostly around typos and formatting and things like that. We've got a bunch. We're fixing that as we go. Uh, we will have all of that feedback done before the thing goes out live. So that sort of determines the time frame as well. But it will go out for anyone to purchase and that will be extraordinarily exciting because finally the thing will be done. So when it's, uh, when it's out there, I'm going to talk about it in, in more detail. Uh, some of you here, including Lars, <laughs> have seen it, read it. Lars actually has an intro in the book as well. So... Uh, there are intros from Rob, Lars, Richard Campbell, which are, which are lovely. They're, they're, very, they're very nice. I enjoyed reading them. I hope you do too. I'm going to talk more about that when it's done. And in the interest of time, I'm going to jump on in the – actually, jump onto the comments now then on the next thing. Uh, Lars says, hardest thing I ever do is writing a book. It's because we keep going out and drinking beer instead, mate. Uh-huh. 
where we complain about the book. Let's complain about something else. Data breaches. Back in familiar territory. Now, there are two data breaches I want to talk about that, uh, that are both interesting in their own way. The first one is start said in a startled way because it is spelt in all capitals. Now, this is a data breach of a Russian streaming service, which is, which is interesting in a couple of ways. Let's just start with the pragmatic bits and then we'll get into the politics. 7.4 million email addresses, they were published uh, publicly to a Telegram channel during the week and then on a hacking forum. It might have been the other way around. Anyway, they're all out there. Data all over the place. 42% of those were already in Have I Been Pwned. Uh, the organisation did acknowledge the breach as well. Makes it a lot easier for me when there's disclosure and it's not something I have to try and reach out to people to disclose. So that went into Have I Been Pwned. Now, I think that the thing that made it just a little bit more interesting is that it is Russian. And the two, two things that sort of came up related to that. So number one... Look, they'd acknowledged it already. The data was out there. But there was a little bit of me, which is, if they get really pissed off at me, it's going to be a lot harder for them to do anything because Russia. <laughs> There's always this, this worry. It's like if someone gets really pissed off at me. But it's Russia. The other thing, and this did cause some reflection, is someone, one person, one person, uh, thought that it wasn't good that I loaded the data because it's Russian and because it provides a service to people in Russia. Now, it was only one person. And as I've said before, if I'm not upsetting at least one person with the things I do, I think I'm probably not trying hard enough and I've done something really, really boring. But it was an interesting position. So if this benefits primarily people in Russia, should I do it, given the current geopolitical circumstances? And I don't have a good answer for it. I, I just, I, I don't, because it, it kind of feels like it's data, it's out there, it's all over the place. In a way, putting a breach in Have I Been Pwned to some extent does actually shame the organisation, so maybe this is shaming a Russian company and that's better. But there are also a bunch of people in there that weren't from Russia. So there, there was a field that indicated uh, the country of origin. The, the other one I remember is Kazakhstan was there. So, you know, shush, if I didn't load it, you've got a whole bunch of people from Kazakhstan who then don't get notifications. Uh, there were other countries in there. I think it might have been Georgia as well or something like that. But I'd, It'd be different if a Russian company popped up and said, we will give you a pile of money in order to do something for us. Uh, that's, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> Everyone's pretty clear on where we all stand on that now. But when it's a data breach, no, I just felt that that had to go in there. Had to go in there. The comments here. Mike Woolridge, the book, well, Rob's intro, as far as I got, is epic so far. Looking forward to catching up on the historic post. Now, Mike and anyone else listening to this either now or later on, uh, one of the things Rob asked for is, can you get quotes from people? So, you know, Rob and Charlotte and I have done this together. Um, I wrote the original blog post. Rob is very good at putting together books and also getting them out there and getting them marketed. Charlotte is very good at organizing everything absolutely everything so so rob's role here is to try and get traction on the book and one of the things he's asked for is can you get testimonials from people and i did tweet out about this over the last couple of days so 
uh, Mike, if, if you liked it, and even if you just liked the intro and there's something you're willing to share on that, could you just DM me and let me know, and anyone else as well, uh, except for Lars because he's already written the intro. <laughs> It'd be really, really good to just have some little little clips, little one or two sentences, either your name or initials or something we can put against it. Um, that would make Rob happy. And Rob's a lovely guy. I want to keep Rob happy. Dominique, who's your target audience for the book? Good question. I guess it's people that would normally read my blog post, but anyone who might be interested in, um, I guess, in my career and how I ended up here. The person that asked about uh, university, you might find that interesting. There's things in there about how my career unfolded the way it did. Uh, We sort of chose a collection of blog posts that had interesting stories behind them that might have led to the blog post and then also interesting things that happened afterwards. So, for example, the Ashley Madison data breach is is a great example. There's a lot of other stuff behind the scenes there. Uh, Things like why I left Pfizer or what happened in the lead-up to me leaving Pfizer was a great example as well. Um, That was... That was painful. And that's in the book, the bit that was painful about it. So that's not particularly technical, those reasons. A bunch of the blog posts aren't particularly technical. The uh, the book.troyhunt.com webpage does list which blog posts are in there. Some of them as well are a combination of just sort of funny and unintended outcomes. Uh, the blog post about Grindr. Um, for those of you not familiar with Grindr, it's, it's a gay hookup uh, website. They had just an egregiously, stupidly bad vulnerability, which uh, Scott Helm and I uh, did some testing of, disclosed responsibly, got fixed, wrote a blog post. But some of the stuff I put in that blog post, some people were really, really unhappy with, mostly related to Scott. I'm just going to say that. So that backstory is in the book. That's not technical at all. That's much more sort of social observations. So... Yes, for, let's just say it's for everyone. Let's do that. <laughs> There's nothing in there for everyone. Wayne's just joined the book beta. Mike, in fairness to the bloke earlier, there is there is a sound like a flappy fan or monster flying insect in the mix. Okay, I, I shall take that on board. I'll listen to this later on. Um, Rolza says, it's a slippery slope to not load data based on who is in it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Totally. Uh, now, Joel says Ubiquity was suing Krebs for defamation. That was, uh, that was, that does ring a bell now because I guess the blog post sort of defamed them insofar as, or the story defamed them insofar as it did make them look bad, inconsistent with reality, but based on information that other people had given him. So, yeah, that's tricky. Stephen, how long is the book at the discount price? Want to get it, but my credit card is a little hurt from being back in Australia last week. It is at the discount price until it goes to the full price. It's going to be very soon. Uh, it really depends on on when we can get this feedback implemented. But it 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 will be very soon. It's look, it's not going to be a lot more. Um, I think we said it was about a twenty five percent discount or something at the moment. Next data breach. Boy, this one. Ah. Now, if you're not familiar with this site and you're at work or the kids are around or something like that, don't don't go and look at it because it's a very adult site. You know, like there's a there's a there's a spectrum of adult websites, and uh, 
I had my story ready should Charlotte have walked in as I loaded the homepage. But uh, the website is StripChat. Now, it, it, it is kind of what it sounds like. And I, I think what's been interesting, having been around the internet for the last 27 years now, dating myself, there's something about adult websites that does seem to have gotten much more immediately accessible and graphic over the course of time. And after you see the button which says, and I've got to check all these things, I'm just saying, I've got to verify every data breach. So yes, I had to go to the site and I did have to see whether email addresses in the alleged breach did actually exist on the website itself. Yes, they did. But yes, there is a, there is a lot of adulting uh, on the front page of the website. They left several databases exposed in November. This June, over 10 million records appeared on a hacking forum with usernames, email, and IP addresses. 22% of those were already in have been pwned. Data breach is now in there flagged as sensitive. Now, let's talk about this sensitive bit for a moment and why it's uh, flagged as that. Uh, this is a, a legally operating service as far as I know. Um, People have gone and signed up to the website. I don't really care if they do that for a legally operating service like this. That's up to them, whatever they want to do. Left their email address there. Inevitably, in the realm of services where we expect privacy, if uh, if you had an eBay account and someone knew about it, it doesn't matter too much, Facebook, Twitter, all these sorts of things, but you sort of start to get into a space where there is a much higher expectation of privacy. So a, a typical example, if we step outside the more salacious stuff from home, is, is medical, healthcare. Let's say that you're a cancer patient or you might be suffering from depression or something else that is a, a very personal thing because it's medical data. You are more likely to not want other people to know that. And then there are things like uh, addiction websites. Uh, what if you're a drug addict, an alcoholic, or you're using services which disclose something about you which is especially personal as compared to the fact that um, you store some things in the cloud via Dropbox. And it, it also relates to this whole argument about enumeration as well. So which sites should enumerate based on email address and which ones shouldn't? Now, in fairness, I think no sites should, but it is a very different thing to know that you've got a Stack Overflow account versus an Ashley Madison account. There are different social implications of this. So Have I Been Pwned does have this sensitive flag where when you reach that threshold, it's like, okay, now it's sensitive, which means that you cannot search for it publicly. So you can't go to haveibeenpwned.com, put in the email address of someone that was in StripChat and see that they were in StripChat. If you own that email address, you can use that little notification feature and it will send an email to your inbox and then you can check it and it will tell you whether or not you're in there. I don't do that by default for a whole bunch of reasons. If you Google Troy Hunt Ethics of Data Breach, you will see all of those reasons, many, many very, very good ones that haven't changed. The other way you can see if you're in a sensitive data breach is if you control the domain of the email address. So if you're John at acmecore.com and you had an account there and someone else controls the acmecore.com domain, they can see that John was in the breach. And inevitably, 
I sent domain notifications to thousands of domain holders who have verified they control the domain, and many of them were very big corporate domains. John's not going to have a good day out of that. You know, like imagine, imagine you're John and you've signed up for a porn site with your work email address and there's probably an acceptable use policy. You can do your Facebook or your banking during lunch or something like that when you're at work, but it probably wouldn't include looking at strip cams. And now John's got to have a discussion with HR. Now, there's a discussion then about, you know, should I, should I enable that? Should that be possible? Another blog post I'd written some time ago, and in fact, I linked back to it in the context of this data breach, is uh, your work email address is your work's email address. Now, this is almost universally the case and should always be assumed to be the case, which is if you go and work for someone and they give you an email address on their domain, they own your email. That's, that's not yours. You're, you're borrowing that alias for the tenure at which you work at this organization. Don't go and sign up for porn sites with that. If you want to go and watch porn or sign up to any of these things, use a personal email address. God, use a mailinator address. Like use something that doesn't like tie back to your work. So I do wonder how many discussions have been had. I have heard from numerous domain admins or people in capacities where they can do the domain search and verify they control it. I've heard from many of them over the years about the sorts of things that have happened in organisations for people using these services. I've heard everything from, in Ashley Madison times, domain admins saying, look, this is actually within the realms of acceptable use. Now, obviously not every organisation is the same, but they said, look, it's it's a relationship site. Uh, maybe it's a little bit different to Tinder. <laughs> you know, like the, the MO is a little bit different, but at the end of the day, it was for people to connect. So, all right, well, that's, that's your corporate policy. I've also heard from organisations who say, look, we've done domain searches, and there's the, the specific example I remember is like there's two guys in the warehouse who are just like on every single porn site. Uh, we're taking their computer away, <laughs> you know? So this is one of the things the organisation learned. Of course, you would assume that most organisations would have many different ways of learning that two guys in the warehouse were constantly using the work machine for porn. But apparently Have I Been Pwned was the vector by which they learned that. Ah, no comments here. Uh-huh. Lars and Stephen, Lars and Stephen. <laughs> okay, nothing else of substance. So let me talk about the last thing and then I'm well and truly hitting my, my time limit before I do my things today. This was just, I actually thought I'd get a lot more traction on this, but I thought it was hilarious. I was actually uh, preparing for a talk and I was looking up just like crazy password stuff. (laughs) And I remembered I'd seen this epic, epic thread from Virgin Media uh, several years ago. And I went and I found the tweet and it was still out there. So here's the context. Um, Freaky Clown. Real person who I've met before in the UK, InfoSec guy, essentially had to do a password reset on their Virgin Media account. And um, I'll just, I'll read his thread and then Virgin's response because it's classic. He says, I never signed up, I never signed into my Virgin Media account, but I did set one up years ago and forgot all the details. I request a password reset. The person on the phone gives me 
one last chance to guess what email I used, and I get it on the third try. I finally get the password reset request actioned. Phone representative tells me password will be posted to me. Okay, weird, but I accept. Today, the post arrives, and I shit you not, it's my old password. I remembered it on site. So they store the password and just posted it to me. Honestly, reread that. Virgin Media, store your password in plain text and don't reset it, but we'll post it in the mail. Great job, you utter idiots. Now, so far, this is hilarious already. But then Virgin Media publicly, in the tweet that still exists today, responds and they say, Posting it to you is secure as it's illegal to open someone else's mail. Holy shit. That's so funny. That is absolutely hilarious. I love that. (laughs) What we should do is make crime illegal as well, because that would really fix the problem. Anyway, so that one's still out there. Uh, And I, I tweeted that and then someone else said, oh, you should see this other one which was hilarious. And I I embedded this other one and then it got deleted, which was a real shame. Uh, But fortunately I had a backup. So I just took a screen cap of the tweet that was like still loaded on my iPhone and added it to the thread. So this is uh, Ocado. Now Ocado, what does Ocado do? We're on Twitter between 7 a.m. for full price. What what does Ocado actually do? Let's figure this out. Let's get some context. Ah. It's the gift that keeps on giving, these corporate tweets. Uh, Okay, so first of all, we've got a pop-up about cookies. And the only way to make it go away is to accept it. All right, so far so good. And then there's just a massive customer privacy notice. Why am I there? What do you do? It's a shop? Oh, okay, groceries. Whatever your schedule, there's a delivery slot just for you. All right, online shopping. So, this one. The thread's kind of broken now because they deleted the tweet. But obviously, Kate Bevan was saying something to the effect of them not having 2FA. And the Ocado account here says, Hi, Kate. You need to know both the email and the password to be able to log in to an account, which is essentially two-factor verification. (laughs) Oh, that's gold. I wonder how many factors you could add. It's like, we're also going to ask you a security question and your mother's maiden name and your birthday and just like make it four-factor authentication. Classic, classic, classic. It's a shame they ended up deleting it, but yeah. Ah, see in the comments. Mike, Virgin Media's Twitter feed is just clueless and the InfoSec strategy is just hopeless. Ah. Steven says, Ocado is an H-Roses. Grosses. Yeah, UK online only supermarket. All right, there we go. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. That was a bit of levity uh, for this week's update. I need to get going and go do my things today. Uh, I'll be back next week, one week before wedding. Uh, so we'll we'll see what I actually get involved in over the next week. I am going to try and start to focus uh, more on the family things and scale back a little bit on the work. But I'll definitely be back here doing this next week, probably later in the day next week. So thanks very much for joining. Have an awesome day uh, and see you next week.